This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th. Avenue Faceoff. And welcome into the latest edition of Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Hi, how are you? I'm Chris Mack. If you're watching this on the 93.7 The Fan YouTube page, thank you, first of all. Second of all, make sure you tap that little notification bell down there if you have not already to make sure you get notified as soon as new videos are posted to the 93.7 The Fan account, including full episodes of this rat here, which is Fifth Avenue Faceoff. If you're listening, however you get your podcasts, we appreciate it and appreciate you tabbing that, that little uh, tapping that little subscription button or follow button, whatever you got to do to make sure you get notified of new episodes as soon as they're available in whatever app you use to get your podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, iTunes, or your free Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y. Download it today and take everything with you, including, well, Fifth Avenue Faceoff. So the Pens lose 3-2 to the Nashville Predators on Tuesday night in overtime. We can talk about the particulars of that game quickly, but I want to get into a bit of a quarter poll report card because that's where the bulk of the league is now. You scroll up and down the standings, just about everybody has played somewhere between 20 and 22 games. There are a handful of outliers uh, like the Caps, the Senators, uh, the Kings, uh, who have all played somewhere around 17, 18, 19 games. But again, For the most part, the bulk of the league, 28 or 29 out of the 32 franchises, have played between 20 and 23 games. So, yes, we're just about right at the quarter pole. And as we look at it, the Penguins still not in playoff position, right? Um, Bruins, Panthers, Wings, top three in the Atlantic as of Wednesday morning. Rangers, Canes, Flyers in the Metro. Talk about those aforementioned flyers in just a couple of minutes. Uh, Leafs and Lightning, the wild cards in the East, because everybody else in the Metro is stacked up just outside of wild card position. From the Washington Capitals at 22 points, all the way down to the Pens at 21 points, you've got five teams. Uh-huh. Caps, Isles, Sabres, Devils, Pens. Uh, so the wild card positioning, not extremely far out of reach, but you're still not there, which is not a good thing for the Penguins right now. Western Conference, uh, well, it would be different if the Pens were in the West. Let's be honest. They would be uh, just a point out of playoff position rather than the four that they are now. Uh, Vegas, Vancouver, and the Kings in the Pacific. Colorado, Dallas, and Winnipeg in the Central with St. Louis and Nashville also out of the Central sitting in wildcard position right now. That's out West. But as for, speaking of the Western Conference and the Nashville Predators, who sit in that final Western Conference playoff spot after their overtime win against the Pens, quickly talk about Tuesday night's game. Sloppy to start, or not sloppy to start. I shouldn't say sloppy. I don't think the Penguins were necessarily sloppy early on against Nashville. What I think is they just weren't as buttoned up as they should be, especially coming off some of the games that they've won recently. I think back to Saturday night against Toronto. Really well-played game by the Pens against the Toronto Maple Leafs Um, in that they played, what have I said now, for a few weeks, what they need to do, play good old-fashioned, boring hockey. And that's what they did in that 3-2 win over the Leafs. It was good old-fashioned, boring hockey. Safe hockey, for lack of a better way to put it. You know, if you've 
followed this podcast or followed me on Twitter at the Chris Mack for any length of time, you know that I put a lot of stock in what Jesse Marshall of The Athletic has to say. And it was interesting that when the Pens looked like they were putting things together a few weeks ago, Jesse pointed out that they were playing a different forecheck. Not just playing a different forecheck, but a decidedly different forecheck than what they've done for the past half decade, and one that was much more well-suited to what are their skills now. They are not the fastest team in the league anymore. They cannot simply forecheck other teams into oblivion and into turnover after turnover deep in their uh, offensive zone. The Penguins have to play a little more passive on the forecheck. Let teams' mistakes come to them rather than getting too aggressive and leaving the neutral zone wide open. In fact, the Penguins should be the team using an open neutral zone in transition to attack the other way. We've seen that work uh, many times for them this year, in particular with the addition of Eric Carlson on the back end. They've got a phenomenal ability to not force turnovers way back deep in their own defensive zone and then have to break it out, skate it out, but to force turnovers high in their own defensive zone or in the neutral zone and then bang, take it back the other way. Carlson. Great at that. Latang still good at that. Uh, and you know they have the offensive talent to do that, especially with Crosby, Gensel, and Rust, who are still playing otherworldly. Had a great night against Nashville and Rust's return to the lineup after missing a few games. Uh, Brian Rust, that entire line continues to be really the key to the entire thing for this team. As long as that line is producing, they've got a shot because outside of that line producing and the occasional spark from the third line, what else are you getting offensively from this team? Not enough. Evgeny Malkin did get his first goal against a goalie. Had that empty netter uh, last week. His first goal against a tended net, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it, um, in Nashville. That's a good thing. But that was his first in three weeks, uh, almost three weeks of that sort, not on an empty net. And that's because they got it in transition. Right, Everybody was on the move in that play. Riley Smith with a great setup. But other than that, the second line, worst line on the ice last night. And especially in what I would call the half court, right? When set up in the offensive zone, that second line continues to struggle at even strength. And they're just not good enough often enough, especially the second line at even strength in the half court, as I'll call it. Again, when they're set up in the offensive zone, this team has to make way too much happen in transition. And even the top line has had their issues uh, in what, again, I'll call the half court. They're really the only one continuously generating offense uh, once puck possession is sustained in the offensive zone. All that said, they've got to focus on defense first more often. They just do. They didn't do that often enough, early enough against Nashville last night. And that's why they were down 2 nothing very early on. Uh, also, more physicality in front of their own net. I'm going to point that out again. Marcus Pedersen. I'm going to go through, again, quarter pole grades for each player on the roster, each coach, and even all the way up to Kyle Dubas in just a couple of minutes. I'm going to give you a little uh, teaser here. Marcus Pedersen is going to get a good grade. Overall, he's played very well. He's been an excellent fit with Eric Carlson. But one thing he needs to do, and it's why he won't get a perfect grade from me, is be more physical in front of his own net. Uh, you, you see both of the early goals scored by Nashville last night were the result of loose pucks in front of the net. And that can't continue to happen. It just can't. Redeem Zahorna in one of those instances, just standing right outside of his own crease, not doing anything as a loose puck bounced off of Tristan Jari. Jari was screened at the time. I initially uh, took some Jari to task a bit for each of those two goals. The first one ended up being a deflection, um, so not really on him. I don't think anything you could do about it. The second one, again, a loose puck in front. Maybe you can argue about the rebound, but I won't. I'll talk about having to clear bodies out from in front of the net. I thought Jari actually played pretty well. A couple big saves in the third period, in fact, to keep it a tie game and give the Penguins the opportunity to tie it up. But on both of those McCarran goals, there's there's traffic in front and nobody's doing anything to physically eliminate that traffic up to and including Marcus Pedersen and big Z redeems a who I'm also going to give a really good grade to 
but has not played physical enough, which is why he doesn't get a perfect grade. So all of that said, now Tampa on Thursday and two huge games this coming weekend uh, wraps around the weekend, Saturday night at home against the Flyers and then Monday night in Philly, a huge home and home series with the surprisingly good Flyers to this point, right? You want to gain playoff position on a team that people didn't think would be even in the conversation for a playoff spot? Now's the time to do it. Yep, against those Philadelphia Flyers. You want to gain ground on a team who's actually in a playoff spot right now? You do it Thursday night against the Lightning. So some opportunities for the Penguins coming up. Time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. But let's get into the quarter poll report card. And I'm going to go in order. I feel like I should have uh, reading glasses. Um, I do have, you know what? I've got my multicolored pen and it's set to red. So that I can mark up everybody's uh, quiz, all their tests. Look, a whole sheet full of uh, scribbles and numbers and colors here to give uh, the quarter poll report card here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. So I'm somewhat prepared. I do. I, I'll, all I have here, and don't ask why I have them in the basement, is a pair of sunglasses, which is not very teacher-like of me. So I'll, uh, I could put them over my nose like this, but they're not helping me read anything. And I don't need bifocals or cheaters anyway. So screw it. Let's just get to the grades. I will start from the bottom up, okay? And there are a few Fs that I have to give out through the first quarter of the season as the Penguins sit at 10-10 and one and four points out of a playoff spot on this Wednesday, November 29th. The Fs, who do they go to? Well, I've got a defenseman. I've got a forward. And I've got an assistant coach. Let's start with the defenseman. I'll start with POJ. Uh, Pierre-Olivier Joseph, I, I, I've tried to remain a big believer in this kid's game. Um, I've never necessarily had a problem with him not getting bigger and bulking up because he's supposed to be an offensive defenseman. He's supposed to make things happen when the puck is on his stick. We can argue, and I think it is worth arguing, about whether he's been given enough opportunities by Mike Sullivan up to and including the beginning of this season. I don't think he has in the past, but he also hasn't done anything, understanding he's dinged up right now. He hasn't done much to force Sullivan's hand. When he does get opportunities, he doesn't light the world on fire. He plays as if he's, to be honest, kind of afraid, kind of scared. And when he doesn't play scurred, I'll be honest, it gets a little sloppy. He has come along at the exact wrong time for this franchise. He has. Eric Carlson and Chris Letang are in front of him as far as offensive-minded defensemen go. And this team is no longer looking for that. It just isn't. It's looking for defensemen who can provide offense in spurts. And POJ, unless he's 110% wholly focused on the offensive half of the ice, is not producing those results through five games, I believe it is. Uh, POJ, just one assist, and it's a secondary assist. Uh, that's it. One point through five games. He's a minus two in those five games, only averaging about 13 minutes of ice time when he does play. Um, it's just, it's not good enough. And so... When he does get healthy, I, I don't know if he necessarily, if, if Mike Sullivan races to give him another opportunity, but I'm giving him an F. I'm, maybe you could give him an incomplete because you feel like he hasn't been given enough chances. I'm giving him an F because when given those opportunities, I don't think he's made the most of them. It's a harsh, harsh curve that I'm grading on here. Um, the other F, the one that I'm going to give up front anyway, uh, that goes to Ricard Raquel. And this one, not, not hard to figure out, right? Ricard Raquel has been a terrible disappointment this season. I, I thought he was primed for a huge season, especially if he got more time with Sidney Crosby. Maybe that's eventually what helps fix him, is more time with Sidney Crosby. But I'll also be honest, what's going to get him on a line with Sidney Crosby at this point? 
Are you taking Ruster Gensel off of Crosby's wings? Hell no. Uh, and as much as Evgeny Malkin's line has struggled this year, and it has outside of that first initial punch uh, from Riley Smith, it, there's not anything there to help him either. You know, there were a few games, I believe, maybe a game where he spent some time on the third line. That's not going to fix Ricard Raquel. Uh, he is dinged up as well on LTIR right now, which at least gives you some savings on what is a, by Penguin standards, a big fat deal. Five years at 5.1 million per year is the cap hit. Ricard Raquel has to figure some things out. Otherwise, He's going to be trade bait if this team continues to muddle along. Um, I just see him as someone who perhaps needs a change of scenery to get things going again. Kyle Dubas may look at it that way as well, especially given the fact that he's got what he needs offensively from the top unit. The second unit's issues don't need to be exacerbated by putting Ricard Raquel back there with Malkin and Smith then who's playing that other wing. We'll get to that second line in general in a couple of minutes when we get to the other players on that line in Smith and Malkin. But I have to give Ricard Raquel an F as well. 17 games without a goal. Oy, just four assists, three of them at even strength. Uh, just one of them a primary assist, a minus two as well, much like POJ. And only about 15 and a half minutes of ice time per game because he's off the power play or was off the power play before he got hurt as well. Ricard Raquel in a bad spot. So those are the two player F's I give to start the grades out. The assistant coach F, I mean, is anyone, no one's going to be surprised by this has to go, has to go to Todd Reardon. He's in charge of the power play and it is the fourth worst in the Eastern conference, seventh worst in the league, converting it just, half of what it should be, at least half of what it should be, 12.1% on the power play. They've now gone 20 opportunities in a row without converting on the power play with Eric Carlson running the thing with Sidney Crosby available to you, with Jake Gensel available to you, with some extreme otherworldly talent available to you on the power play. You're Todd Reardon and you can't figure out how to get these guys going. No, that's, that's a massive failure. And before anyone gets traded, just for trade's sake, before uh, Kyle Dubas goes down the old GMJR route, remember when he traded Carl Hagelin just to trade somebody uh, back in the day? Before we get to that point, if this team hits a skid again, it's Todd Reardon who has to go. I know a lot of you out there are going to say Mike Sullivan. We'll get to Mike Sullivan in his grade in a bit. Um, Sullivan, while I don't give him exactly a glowing grade, um, he's got to be told at some point Reardon's got to go. And look, it, when you have the talent they have and the power play is this bad and Reardon is the assistant coach in charge of the power play. Yeah, he gets an F easily. No problem. He's going to have to be the scapegoat, the first big scapegoat if they need to find one, if this team can't figure out the power play soon. They've already sh shuffled the personnel, right? How much more can you do? before you turn to the assistant coach who runs it and say, thanks for your service, but bye-bye. So the three Fs go to POJ, Ricard Raquel, and Todd Reardon as we work our way up the Penguins quarter poll report card. Uh, just about a, all, a little more than exactly one quarter of the way through the season. So who gets the Ds? You probably think there would be a lot more of these, but I only have two. Yeah. I only have two. And one is a guy who's really hardly been here at all, but is another case of not making the most of the opportunities. He's only played in three games. But Alex Nylander, I really expected that they would lean in a little bit more this offseason and early this year on the guys like Nylander and Pustinen who show great offensive ability at the AHL level but never really get a true shot at the NHL level. I thought Nylander, in a very brief glimpse last year, looked really good in a top six winger role when given that opportunity. Um, this year, hasn't been the same. Hasn't. Sorry, just hasn't. Um, three games, no points to speak of. Just six shots on goal, I think, in those three games. Uh, so Alex Nylander perhaps gets a shot again if somebody 
uh, else gets dinged up down the line, but he gets a D from me. Not a ton of opportunity, but the opportunity that he has gotten has not taken advantage of. Uh, the other D is kind of a D by default, and I don't mean that in any sort of joking way, but like he was an F last year. No question about it. And he gets a D this year just by virtue of not being nearly as bad as he was last year. But he's just passable. He's just kind of there. He's Jeff Carter. Uh, Big Jeff Carter gets a D from me. Look, he's got six high danger chances so far this year at even strength. That's not including power play opportunities. So, uh, okay, he's going to the right spots, I think to try and get his game going, but still just one assist in 15 games. Chad Ruweedle has one assist in 15 games. John Ludwig has an assist in five games. Um, So Jeff Carter, not getting it. He's just kind of there, right? That fourth line, aside from Noel Achari, who I think has done as much as he can, has made as much chicken salad as he can out of the chicken bleep that he's been given. Uh, with Matt Nieto and Jeff Carter. Um, and Nieto hasn't been terrible, but he hasn't been great either. Um, that fourth line has has just been kind of there. And I said at the beginning of the year, listen, if for the first few weeks the fourth line is just there and just just maintaining, that's okay. And they have done that more often than not, just maintained. They're not a huge, not a huge drag on things defensively. Jeff Carter isn't anymore, but offensively, they do nothing. I mean, nothing. And Jeff Carter is the reason why, or at least the leader of that bunch. Carter, uh, skating less than 10 minutes a game now, that that fourth line, uh, really not getting much even strength time at all, around nine minutes a game or so, nine to 10 minutes a game. Uh, he gets the other D that I have. Jeff Carter, um, because he's just, it's just, it's, he's just there. Um, when he was out of the lineup, did you go, Oh, I kind of miss Jeff Carter. No, you didn't. So on to the guys that are just barely skating by, but are about to get a call from the Dean's office, the C minuses. And I have one, two, two, just two of these, just two C minuses. Uh, Again, towards the bottom of the roster, guys that haven't played a ton, at least in one guy's case, I should say, uh, hasn't played a ton, but really hasn't done anything with the opportunity. I've been unimpressed with him really since the start. Sorry, it's not personal, Jansen Harkins, but in six games, no points, just five shots on goal. Um, He's just there. And unfortunately, he's just there in more of a third line capacity when he's in the lineup, which has happened as of late with Ricard Raquel being out and Drew O'Connor uh, being bumped up to the second line. Zahorner was bumped up to the second line for a brief amount of time. When those guys get bumped up to the third line to the second line, it it creates more ice time, unfortunately, for a Jansen Harkins, who I give a C-minus to because, again, he's just out there floating around for nine minutes or so every night. And this team can't have any floaters. It just, it just can't. This team has to have everyone playing at their B-plus or better game for them to overcome what really, to get back to the Nashville game just briefly, what really was the main issue, which was terrible officiating. And I'm not trying to excuse a loss, a road loss, especially a way to officiating. That's bad officiating. And I'm even willing to excuse the Ryan O'Reilly non-call for interference on Sidney Crosby in overtime. I'll even excuse that. It was more just about the tone, tenor, and pace of the game that the officials seemed to want to try and control but didn't know how to. That was bad officiating in Nashville on Tuesday night. Sorry. Um, There is a history of that guy in particular, um, the lead official Kyle Remen. Remen? Remen? Whatever. Um, just, Just doing a terrible job of controlling the tone, tenor, and pace of games, letting things get too far out of control before he finally tries to reel them back in or doing the exact opposite, trying prematurely to reel things in when they haven't yet gotten out of control. He's not good. Kyle Raymond's a bad referee. Anyway, 
that's not the reason the Penguins lost, but it's proof positive that when this team has something not go exactly right or just as they need it to, when they don't get near perfection from all aspects of the game, they're going to have a hard time winning. That's just, and that includes officiating sometimes. We've seen that with goaltending. We've seen that with uh, the second line. Anyway, again, my point is this team can't have any passengers, right? It's got to, everybody's got to be an active participant. It's like one of those tandem bikes. You ever see one of those things? They're speaking again of Nashville. They're huge in Nashville. The, uh, what do they call them? Not pedicab, but you know, the, the, the traveling bars, right? Like they're huge for bachelorette parties in Nashville, right? You get, uh, and they have them in Pittsburgh too. Um, but you get 10 or 12 people and they're all pedaling a bike, right? While they serve you beers. And, um, it's all well and good until you notice that like Carol down on the far end, she ain't pedaling at all. Her feet are just kind of riding along with the pedals, right? Just not really doing much. She's fake pedaling. That's Jansen Harkins. He's a fake peddler. Um, he, he doesn't add anything to this team. He gets a C minus. I just spent way too much time trying to explain a grade for Jansen freaking Harkins. The other C minus Chad Ruedel, the definition of a guy who gets too much playing time. I think we're starting to get away from that. 15 games for Ruedel this year, and no giveaways. Golf clap. Um, but, which I guess, you know, as a third-pairing defenseman, that's that's a good thing. No giveaways. But there's literally no creation in his game. There is none. It is all about hanging on and surviving for the next shift. Don't screw up, Chad. Don't screw up, Chad. Oh, you screwed up because you're Chad Ruedel. Um He's a C minus for me. He literally has no impact on the game. He is, if you remember the monologue from the hangover part two, I believe it was, I think it's the hangover part two, the one where they're in Thailand, right? And Stu, uh, Ed Helms from the office, um, is getting married to his wife in Thailand and his, 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 wife's family is very strict and the 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 future father-in-law is very exacting right once uh his his daughter to not marry Stu, who he just sees as just bleh, this bland old shapeless boring agreeable blob and he likens him to choke which is what they feed old people over there uh when they have no teeth left and they can't eat anything else Stu is choke um th- that's chad ruido go look up the scene um, Chad Ruido is choke, um, and he gets a C minus from me. So let's move on to the C's now as we go out through the Penguins quarter pole grades here on Fifth Avenue Face Off. Chris Mack with you, and I have just two straight C's before I get to the C pluses. The straight C's that I have are Matt Nieto, who I mentioned earlier. Again. I thought he would provide a lot more spark, a lot more physicality, a lot more energy. It's in there. I know it is. I've I've seen him do it for other teams. Um, But we're not seeing it right now from Matt Nieto. Again, maybe it's a matter of you can only do so much when you're being dragged down by Jeff Carter as a line mate. Um, But he's also playing with Noel Achari a good bit. Nieto should be able to provide more of that spark. I would think he and Achari would sort of feed off of one another in that regard. But in 21 games, just a single goal for Nieto, two assists. Um, I will say this, you know, he he's it's in there. I, I, I said that before, but it's in there. And I can see it in glimpses here and there. He's just got to produce it more regularly. He can't, like I said, be a passenger, which I think he has been to a large extent to this point. Matt Nieto gets a C from me. And also Ryan Shea. Uh, he's played in 17 games now and I think has made the most of his opportunity. But that's the problem is, as great a guy as I think Ryan Shea may be, he's made the most of this opportunity. And the most of this opportunity is being a younger Chad Ruedel. I, I think that's what Ryan Shea is, which is to say a responsible seventh defenseman who will get enough time as a sixth, depending on how injuries are going and uh, different members of the blue line are playing. So um, literally he's one of just two guys on this roster with zero high danger chances for, because he is out there 
playing a very Ruedel-like game. Just don't screw it up. Just don't screw it up. Just don't screw it up. And to his credit, Ryan Shea has not screwed it up a great deal. But that's he's maxed out his ceiling. He is a C player. So those are my two Cs, Nieto and Ryan Shea. Then we get to the C pluses. And the, let's see, three of these? Yeah, three C pluses. I'll start with the one on defense. It's only a C-plus for this guy because we haven't had a chance to see more. And he nearly killed himself in his first game. I say that only half-jokingly. John Ludwig, um, who clearly, especially after the the Nashville game on Tuesday night, wants to do everything he can to be that energy guy. I talk about Nieto uh, up front on the fourth line, who should be one of those guys. Achari has been one of those guys. Uh, more often than not, or at least from time to time. On the back end, you need that sometimes too. And John Ludwig has shown a willingness, in fact, an eagerness to be that guy. And the only question is, how does he, what, what is his ceiling? Um, again, in just a handful of games so far, does have an assist, a nice assist on... One of the goals Tuesday night in Nashville, I want to say it was the rust goal that tied it up at two in the third period. Um, and a primary assist too. You know, so, hey, good on you, John Ludwig. Um, he is willing to drop the mitts and go. He's willing to stand up for teammates, willing to stand up for himself. I like what we've seen from him so far. So more than just a C, he gets a C plus, but very early for him. Uh, the C plus up front, another guy who's seen limited action, only eight games in the Penguins' first 21. That's Vinny Henestrosa. A goal and two assists, though. Um, and Henestrosa, I think, is one of those guys... Is it fair to compare him to Dominic Simone? Um, just kind of knows where to be when he's out there with talented guys. I think he made the most of his opportunity as much as he could uh, with Rust out of the lineup and getting a chance to skate as a top six forward. Uh, if he gets more opportunities... I think they can count on him to at the very least keep up with the play, not fall on his face, not make too many mistakes. Uh, but I would question what the ceiling is for Henestrosa. But again, in eight games, three high danger chances for, which if he had played in every game to this point, would put him on pace for something like 10 or 11, which is, you know, respectable. Third line, fourth line, uh, Production, offensive production. But you're asking him to be more than that when he fills in. You're asking him to be a top six forward. So just a C-plus for Vinny Henestrosa. The final C-plus that I have, Tristan Jari. Oh, boy, here we go. Let me take a drink of water for this one. Okay. I actually had somebody come at me on social media the other day. Sorry, another drink of water for my Tristan Jari takes, that I get too emotional in my Tristan Jari takes, much like I get too emotional in Kenny Pickett takes. I don't think I'm emotional towards either one. I just don't think either one's good enough. How about that? Given what Tristan Jari's contract is, he's not good enough. It's the same way Kenny Pickett, given that he's a first-round quarterback, isn't good enough. Now, I'm going to save that Pickett conversation for a Steelers podcast. We used to have one of those around here, here nor there. We're talking Penguins right now. And look, he's the ninth largest cap hit amongst goaltenders who've played at least 10 games this year. Okay, that tells me he should be a top 10 goaltender amongst all starters, right? Instead, what we get is a guy who's decidedly middle of the road. There are spots, if you look statistically, where you look at Tristan Jari and say, okay, well, that's good, right? Like of the 35 goaltenders, who have played at least 10 games, he is sixth in goals against average, a 2-4-8. Okay, well, that's that's good, right? Yeah, but high danger save percentage, he's 24th out of those 35 goaltenders, only 8-13. And the leaders in that category are all making, well, I should say, the top three in that category, two of the top three are making less than him. Thatcher Demko is best in the league at a 902 high danger save percentage. Jeremy Swayman right behind him at an 894. Uh, Demko's making 5 million. Swayman's making 3.475. 
proof positive, each of them, that you can go out and find a guy who you didn't originally think was a guy, and he can become a guy or the guy in some cases. Uh, Jacob Markstrom, third in the league at an 892 high danger save percentage chance. Uh, He's making six mil. So just a little bit more than Jari's 5.375 number that you are locked into for the next five years, including this season. And that's the problem with me for Tristan Jari. Maybe this should reflect more on Kyle Dubas's grade, but Jari getting that deal and really only playing middle-of-the-road hockey, I know he leads the league with three shutouts. I would credit the guys in front of him for those as much as he, but he also may lead the league. I'd have to look this number up. I should have. In multi-goal leads blown. That's a good question. We'll have to look that one up. Perhaps someone listening to this can do so and tell me on Twitter at the Chris Mack if that's the case or not. But he's decidedly middle of the road. Save percentage uh, of the 35 goaltenders I mentioned with at least 10 games played to this point in the season, 916. That's 11th. He's middle of the road. And for a guy with that contract who knows that he has to be better, who has had all-star type performances in the past and knows that that's what's necessary given how this team is composed and comprised and put together, C-plus isn't good enough. His numbers aren't good enough to get any better than a C-plus. Just slightly better than average. C-plus, Tristan Jari. All right. On to the B minuses <clears throat> as we count up to the best grades uh, on the Penguins quarter poll report card here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. I'm going to roll through the B minuses of which I have four, I think it is, one coach and three players. And I'll start a little lower on the depth chart with Noel Achari. Noel Achari gets a B minus. Uh, better than average, right? In 21 games, he's got a pair of goals and an assist, uh, all at even strength, uh, 10 high danger chances uh, in those 21 games, and I think has played a pretty even-handed game. By even-handed, I mean the ice never feels like it's tilted in the wrong direction for too long when Achari is on the ice, plus he's carrying the albatross of Jeff Carter on his wing more often than not. Um, he's blocked more shots than he's taken. Okay. I like that. 27 blocks, 25 shots on goal. 15 of those blocks have come at even strength, which means the other 12 have come on the kill. He has been one of the keys when we get to B pluses, we'll talk about the penalty kill, but he has been one of the keys to this penalty kill being much better than it was last year. Uh, maybe it's coaching. Maybe it's personnel. I tend to lean a little bit more towards personnel, but we'll get to the penalty kill and how that affects the grades of some people in particular uh, more in just a couple of minutes. Nolachari gets a B minus for me. Uh, Karen, about a 52% rate in the faceoff circle as well, which is third best out of the four starting centers on this team. Only Malkin uh, is the, the the lone center sub 500 on faceoffs to this point in the season. So I'll give Nolachari a B minus. Um, he, he's on a reasonable deal, just 2 million a year for this year and next. Yeah, B minus. Uh, I have a couple of B minuses up front and they're on the same line. Riley Smith and Evgeny Malkin. Okay, bear with me on Malkin here because some people are going to, B minus is not going to make anybody happy. That grade for him. Uh, I'll get to him in a second. Uh, Riley Smith started off the season with a bang, right? Looked fantastic. Um, it's a short deal he's on, right? He's only got two years left on it, including this season at five mil a year, which is a pretty good rate for a top six winger, right? He's got 32, no, 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 18, pardon me, high danger chances. About in line with what he should have given the line that he's playing on, right? 18 high danger chances at even strength, I should say. He's got six goals, seven assists, um, five of those goals, four of those assists coming at even strength. He has been good enough as an offseason addition, but the problem is he wasn't brought in to be good enough. He wasn't brought in to be just average Riley Smith. He was brought in to replace Jason Zucker, who had a career year last year. And 
it's been look, it's it's hard to say that it's been tough for Malkin and Smith to find chemistry together. I think they have. They found it early, and I think they found it often, leading all the way up through this past Tuesday's game in Nashville when Smith made a beautiful blind pass to Malkin, who was streaking into the zone and buried it to put the Penguins on the board in the second period against the Predators. They do have some level of telepathic chemistry going on there. At least it looks that way sometimes. But it just hasn't been good enough. Riley Smith has not helped make Evgeny Malkin better. Certainly didn't help make Ricard Raquel better. I don't know how much he's made Drew O'Connor or Redeem Zahorna when they've gotten opportunities on that line any better. And that's the problem. Riley Smith was supposed to come in and be that spark plug, that energy that especially Malkin needed, that Zucker provided last year, and he hasn't been that. So has he been good enough? Eh, yeah, I guess. But not much better than average. B minus for me with Riley Smith. Evgeny Malkin is the other B minus before I get to the coach who's a B minus. Malkin, 18 high danger chances, much like Riley Smith, like I said, which needs to be more. Given the way the first line is producing, the second line has been abysmal in its offensive production. I know Malkin's got 10 goals and nine assists. 19 points is good for third on the team. And a, I think all but two of the goals have come at even strength. Uh, empty netter in there, at least one empty netter in there. So we can question how valuable that is. The other problem is Malkin has given the puck away like nobody else on this team. He leads the team in both even strength and all strength giveaways. 19 even strength, 26 at all strength, which means since Evgeny Malkin isn't playing any PK, seven giveaways on the power play by Malkin. It's been brutal to watch. You know, we worried that Eric Carlson would come in here and try to do too much, especially on the power play. Has that happened sometimes? Yeah, but infrequently, I think, as compared to what some people expected. Carlson has four giveaways on the power play, I believe it is. Malkin has seven as a forward on the power play, who, granted, has given has been given a lot of time out on top of the zone on the power play and is out there in that position sometimes on top of the right circle on the power play. And he's given the puck away way too much. It's led to so many shorthanded opportunities and odd man breaks back the other way. It's it's untenable, especially given the way this team needs to play. I've said it over and over again the last few weeks. I'm going to continue to say it throughout the rest of this season. Regardless of whether they choose to embrace it or not, they need to play more safe hockey, more boring hockey, more responsible hockey. Again, go read Jesse Marshall's article from about three weeks, a month ago on The Athletic about how their forecheck uh, went from being uber-aggressive to a lot more passive, but also l- simply looking to create turnovers from the opposition in a different way. Evgeny Malkin has not latched on to that concept often enough. And on the power play, he's part of the problem. Now, that led to a revamping of the power play, but I don't know if it's led to any change in Malkin's play. I love Evgeny Malkin, too. I, I, I love the emotion in his game. It's great. It's, it's why he leads the team in penalty minutes with 18, but also has drawn more penalties than anybody else on this team. He's drawn 12 penalties, 10 of them at even strength. That means 10 times Evgeny Malkin has created a power play for this team. The problem is when they get on the power play, he forgets what he's supposed to be doing, and he reverts back to what he did for so many years when his skills and his talents were just naturally that much better than everyone else on the ice. And they have devolved over the last few years. They have, whether he cares to admit it or we care to see it or not, they have. His decision-making process needs to catch up with where his skills have fallen to. Otherwise, he's going to continue to lead the team in giveaways. He's going to continue to lead the team in penalty minutes. And no matter how many he's drawing, is not going to make up for it when he actually gets power play time. Evgeny Malkin is still... One of the, I'm not going to question his legacy as a Pittsburgh Penguin. Still one of the all-time greats. But right now, as he's currently playing through the first quarter of this season, it's probably, this is probably too nice of a grade, to be honest. I give him a B minus. Should probably be a little bit lower. Should probably be more like a C. But I'll go B minus for now with Malkin. Uh, The other B minus that I have, is in the front office and behind the bench. 
going to take another sip of water now because we need to talk about this. Mike Sullivan. And it's why this team gets probably as as an organization so far this year, uh, C as a team through the first quarter of the season. Mike Sullivan gets a B minus because I got to ask, when do the changes come? When do you get guys to buy in for more than three or four games at a time? When does it happen? When do you get guys to buy in for three or four games? And then before a loss, before an ugly performance, walk into that room, and maybe he's doing this already and I shouldn't question him, but I don't know. When do you walk in in the middle of a four-game winning streak and say, hey, let's play tonight like we just lost four in a row? And what do I mean by that? Let's play as tight a game as we can. Let's play safe, responsible, boring hockey. Defense first, high on the forecheck. Don't go chasing pucks in the offensive zone. Unless you're the first man in, and even then, please don't go below the circles unless there is a a loose puck and whoever was playing it has fallen down and can't get up. When does he convince these guys that that's the way to win? I know he sees it now. When does he get them to buy in? And if he can't, when does he start pushing buttons like the Todd Reardon button? That's got to be Mike Sullivan's call. It's a whole lot different than if it's Kyle Dubas's call. Mike Sullivan has to go to Kyle Dubas and say, hey, Kyle, I, I like Todd. Good dude. He's helped with the power play in the past, but he's not getting the most out of him. Got to go. When does that happen? When does Sullivan go to Evgeny Malkin and say, listen, Gino, you you know what you're capable of, but you also should know, take a good, long, hard look in the mirror and know what you're not capable of anymore. Nobody has resisted the impact of father time more than you. So do yourself the favor and instead of pushing back against it, embrace it and say, yeah, you know what? I'm older, but I'm wiser. And I need to know that what my coach is telling me to do is what I need to lean into. If Genny Malkin does that, if Mike Sullivan convinces him of it, maybe he gets better than a B minus. Maybe both of these guys get better than a B minus. So that being said, Mike Sullivan gets a B minus from me. He's still better than a lot of you people want to believe. He really is. I just question how much longer we have to wait for him to actually, when he pushes the buttons, when, when did they actually, you know how, I'm trying to think of a good, like there are some things you push a button on and the button's supposed to stay. Like, like the, uh, the heated seats in your car. Okay. Let's use that as an analogy. When you push that little button and the orange light comes on and you get it to the setting you want, right? It stays on for a certain amount of time. And then in most cars, it turns off, right? So you don't light your ass on fire. Um, But what Mike Sullivan needs is to find a a car that has the heated seat button that stays in no matter how long it's on so that this team doesn't go three or four games in a row winning and playing well and playing good old-fashioned, responsible, boring hockey and then think, oh, we're back. We can do whatever we want. And the seat warmer goes off and they go back to doing what they've been doing. No, he needs to push that button and it needs to stay in, stay pushed without him having to hold his... And you know what? If he has to hold his thumb down on it, then hold your thumb down on it, Sully. That's why you're here. He gets a B- minus for me. Okay, on to the Bs now. And I have, let's see, one, two, two forwards and a few members of the front office slash coaching staff. So I'll start with the... Actually, one forward and one defenseman. Sorry. Uh, the defenseman is Ryan Graves. Graves has done a great job, I think, of playing with Chris Letang. I think they found some chemistry. Um, and that, But a lot of that is, is, is more due to Chris Letang having a great year to start this season. I really think he has. Um, Ryan Graves, though, I'll say this, you know, has, has been there. He, he's a shot blocker, leads the team in block shots, both at even strength and all strength. Um, Ten shots on the penalty kill, I think. Um, and he has as many blocked shots just at even strength 
as he has shots on goal at all strength, 32. Um, so a really good, smart game played by Ryan Graves more often than not. I'd like to see a little bit more physicality, um, but that can be dangerous when you're out there with Latang if Latang starts to want to run around a bit. But Graves has been, I think, a, a good partner for Latang to this point. And so Ryan Graves, I give a B to. Um, the other B among skaters, Eric Carlson. And you say, wow, you just talked about how great he's been. He, he's been great. He has. But for a $10 million a year guy, Eric Carlson's got to be better. He does. He does. Look, I'm not here to argue that Carlson is not good. Carlson's great, in fact. Carlson, six goals, 12 assists through the first 21 games. Um, his 14 even strength points are fifth best amongst defensemen in the league. His 18 points overall, eighth best amongst all defensemen in the league. He's drawn four penalties. He's blocked 25 shots. Um, he does a lot right. He really, it, it, there's not much he does wrong. But here's the thing. When Eric Carlson was brought in here, he was brought in much like this team was revamped in the offseason with the belief that I think, I would hope the front office and the coaching staff knew they're going to have to play a near-perfect game to get to where they want to be. And he has played near-perfectly more often than not. Maybe this should be more of a B-plus for Eric Carlson. I'm leaving it as a B because I think there's more ceiling there. I think he can be truly great. I think he can be, as he's been at times, the best player on this team, but I think it needs to happen more often. So I give Eric Carlson a B. Uh, the other Bs... I'll give a pair to Ty Hennis and Andy Kyoto. Um, Hennis, an assistant coach who focuses on skills and skating. Despite remaining one of the oldest teams in the league, the oldest team in the league, uh, Hennis has gotten them, I think, to skate better uh, than they were a year ago. Andy Kyoto, I think, has done a great job with a couple of guys who we'll get to in a few moments in the backup goaltenders, Alex Nadelkovich and especially Magnus Helberg. Um, and so Kyoto and Hennis get Ds from me. Uh, Kyle Dubas also gets a B because and I'll take another drink of water for this one as well, even though it's a simple assessment. I'm going to ask the same thing about Dubas that I asked about Sullivan. When do the changes come? When do the changes come? We're getting there. 10, 10 and one through the first quarter of the season, four points out of a playoff spot. It's got to be better. It's got to be better. So when do the changes come? Because you can't let yourself get too far out of it before you decide to make some big sweeping move because you won't have enough time. That even if the move works the way you suspect it will, you can get back into the playoff picture. So Dubas gets a B so far. Uh, plus some of those offseason moves, the contract to Jari, eesh, um, some of the depth pieces that he decided to keep around or bring in have not been quite what I expected. Now, on the other hand, we're going to get to some of the letter A grades here in a moment. They are the reason Dubas has a B, despite the organization and the team as a whole being a C at this point, a quarter of the way through the year. On now, by the way, to the B pluses. And I've got, let's see, two up front. Two up front and one on the coaching staff. Let's keep it on the coaching staff for just a moment. Mike Vellucci gets a B plus, despite everyone else on the coaching staff being in the B, B minus range, aside from Todd Reardon's F, because the penalty kill, and again, maybe it's based mostly on personnel and bringing in Achari and Eller, getting Rust back on the PK more often. Uh, but the penalty kill's third best in the Eastern Conference, sixth best in the NHL, 86.4%. Vellucci runs the PK. I'll let him have some of the shine for that. I give him a B plus. The other B pluses, I mentioned depth guys, Zahorna and O'Connor, the EZO line, as I call it. And we'll get to Eller in just a minute in the E of the EZO, but Zahorna and O'Connor, the Z and the O on that third line, the EZO line, both B pluses for me. Um, they've both been responsible with the puck. They've both created a lot more offense than I thought ever. I think any of us ever thought the third line would be able to produce. Zahorna, 16 high danger chances. O'Connor, 18 high danger chances. O'Connor's 18, by the way, as many as Malkin and Riley Smith, both. Um, 
O'Connor, a goal and four assists through 21 games. Zahorna, for whatever reason, wasn't on the opening night roster, was brought up pretty quickly afterward, has six points, three goals, three assists in 17 games, all of them at even strength. Um, even though they did start to inject them into the power play a little bit last week. And I'd still like to see more of that. The problem is Zahorna is not nearly as physical as his size would indicate, especially in front of the net. And that's my only gripe with Zahorna. That's it. Got to be more physical back in front of your own crease. I know you're not playing center. I know you're not necessarily supposed to be in that spot. But if you end up in that spot, clean somebody out. If you take a penalty, oh, well, you take a penalty. You've only taken three to this point in the year. I'll, I'll be willing to let you eat another one here and there to clean somebody out. But I really like what we've seen from Zahorna. B plus O'Connor, same thing. B plus speed kills, baby. And O'Connor can skate. And he has that perfect, I, I think he's finally, not finally, like he's been here forever, but he's really starting to hit on understanding how to play the way Sullivan wants this team to play. If the older veteran guys, as much trouble as they're having understanding and sticking with the way Sullivan wants them to play. O'Connor is just soaking it up like a sponge, like a younger player should and making the most of it. So O'Connor and Zahorna both get B pluses from me, which brings me to the a minus just one a minus on this team. And it's Marcus Pedersen has fit in perfectly with Eric Carlson. But I said it earlier, saw it Tuesday night in Nashville. Has to be more physical. Just has to be. Only five uh, giveaways so far this year. Only two high danger chances for, but that's not what he's out there for. He's out there to play defense alongside Eric Carlson, and he's done a great job of it, in my opinion. A plus 11, um, which is tied with Rust and Crosby for the team lead. I know plus minus isn't everything, but he also... This is what I don't understand. He will get physical enough to stand in front of pucks. He has blocked 34 shots. 34 shots. He's put just 22 on net. He's averaging almost 22 minutes a game. Pedersen has been very good. But he's got to be. He's got to show that willingness, that physicality to take someone out in front of the net as much as he's willing to absorb uh, rubber via opposing shots. So... I'll give Marcus Pedersen an A minus. Still a little bit way, a little bit more to go. A's now, okay? And I'll start. I got one, one, two, two A's, a forward and a defenseman each, uh, and two goaltenders. The goaltenders, the backups, Nadelkovich and Helberg. Um, Nadelkovich, sixth amongst all goalies with four or more appearances with a 226 goals against average and amongst all goalies with four or more appearances, he's got the best save percentage in the league. 937. Alex Nedeljkovic should be playing more. It's that simple. He should be nearly splitting time with Jari. He's not, he's only played in four games. Part of that was injury. I get it. Um, we need to see a lot more of him in December and January and beyond maybe, but Nedeljkovic, um has done a great job. He gets an A from me. Um, also he's got a shutout to his name too. Magnus Helberg, limited amount of time, like basically two games worth of time between the pipes, one start, three appearances, a 2.50 goals against average. Isn't great. 922 save percentage is all right. Um, and, and just good enough. Like for a third goaltender, I'll take that. He gets an A for me because I'd like to see a whole lot more from him too. Um, unfortunately it requires injury to see more from him. But I'm okay seeing more from him if we have to. Uh, I, I just huge guy and uh, has made some improvements in the offseason. Again, credit to Andy Kyoto for helping there. Magnus Helberg, he gets an A. The other A's. Lars Eller up front gets an A. He has been much more than I expected in anchoring that third line between Zahorna and O'Connor. Lars Eller. Um, just six giveaways at even strength this year. He has been clutch to that penalty kill, has been huge for the penalty kill. Talk about blocking shots. He's been up near the top in that as well, averaging 14 and a half minutes of ice time. Eller's been crucial to, again, that third line, finding the success that it has and knowing when to go after it and when to pull back, how to play the, the system that Sullivan wants him to play. It's no coincidence 
that Eller, Zahorna, and O'Connor, all three are guys who didn't play a ton at the NHL level last year for the Penguins, I should say. Didn't play a ton for the Penguins at the NHL level last year. And therefore, with a line of all three guys like that, have been the ones most likely to attune themselves to what Sullivan wants now, especially on the four check. It's gone really well for Eller. 16 high danger chances generated for as well. The other A, back on the blue line, Chris Letang, having a great year. Having a great year. The only thing that keeps him from being an A-plus are the dozen giveaways that he's contributed. But that's better than years past. It really is. Uh, a goal and 10 assists, 11 points. He would be an A-plus. 36 block shots, too, to the 42 he's put on net. Nearly nearly even in that number. I don't know if we've seen that from Latang in a while. Almost 25 minutes of ice time a game. He leads the team in ice. He's done a little bit of everything. I think it's arguably the best year of Chris Latang's career even if the offensive point production would not tell you so. He gets an A as well, which brings us to the A pluses and the only three guys left to talk about. There should be an award, and I'm going to campaign for this more later in the season if they continue to play like this, for the best line in hockey. We have metrics and things to measure that now. So let's measure it. And even if we don't want to get into advanced metrics and go into natural stat trick and all that, Let's just do it with some simple, raw numbers. Jake Gensel, Brian Rust, and Sidney Crosby. High danger chances generated for each of them. Rust, 32. Gensel, 31. Crosby, 28. They are 11th, 12th, and 14th in the league. No one else, no other team, let alone a single forward line, has three people in the top 15 in high danger chances generated. Where else are they near the top? Well, let's talk about even strength scoring. Even strength goals, Crosby is tied for the league lead with 11. Rust right behind him with 10. He is fourth in the NHL. Even strength points. Again, Crosby and Gensel tied. 21 even strength points. Tops in the NHL, Rust 17 even strength points, 12th in the NHL. These guys have been on absolute fire, uh, even through the Rust injury. Now that they are back together, they continue to produce. I thought about keeping Crosby at just an A rather than an A plus because of the amount of turnovers from him this year, 16, which is second most on the team. But He's he's also having one of the best years of any 35 or older player in the history of the league. We forget his age because he's Sidney Crosby, right? Um, and so th- there's just nothing that they don't do well. Gensel has drawn seven penalties this year, which is second best on the team. I mean, everything clicks for them. You look at individual expected goals for, which is a fancy roll-up metric. Um Again, all three guys, top 15 at even strength in the league. Gensel first, Crosby ninth, Rust 12th. All three of them should be all-stars this year. I don't know if that'll work out or not, but all three of them are playing all-star level hockey. And look, I I know you don't want to break it up, but you might have to consider it at some point to try and get Malkin back on track. Again, the issue with Malkin, I think, is more that he has not embraced playing the way Sullivan wants to play now. Crosby, Gensel, and Rust can play the way Sullivan wants them to play and generate things on the rush in transition. And then they can also set up in the half court and score with puck possession in the offensive zone. They can do it both ways. They are the only three people on this team right now who can do it both ways, outside of maybe Carlson. They are three of maybe, what? A couple dozen guys in the league who can do it that way. And again, probably the only line that can do it as consistently as any other line in the league both ways, both in transition and set up in the offensive zone. A pluses for all three of them. They are the reason the Penguins have not fallen way down to the bottom of the Eastern Conference table. They're the reason they're still within four points of a playoff spot. And I will say that they have the best grades on the quarter pole Penguins report card that I've put together for you here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. 
Tampa on Thursday. Again, the home and home with the Flyers over the weekend and into Monday night. We will break it all down following uh, those games next week and see where it goes from here. But they need, like I said, a whole lot more drivers and a whole lot fewer passengers on this thing. Everybody, they need a lot more guys playing B-plus and better hockey uh, than they have right now. Way too many guys playing C, C-minus level hockey and below. Um, The first and third line, and especially the first line, can't do everything night after night. We'll see where it goes from here. As always, thank you for watching on the 93.7 The Fan YouTube page or listening wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including inside the Odyssey app. It's free. Download it today. A-U-D. A-C-Y. I'm Chris Mack. Thanks to Greg Finley for producing. This has been the latest edition of Fifth Avenue Faceoff.